You glad to be here? I hope you're glad to be here. We have a wonderful one-man show in the back right now. Eli is killing it. He's got the soundboard, he's got the computer, and he's got to deal with me every day. And he does such a good job with it. <laughs> Eli, they're not, they're not clapping because of your computer skills or your soundboard skills. <laughs> they're clapping for you surviving, living with me every day. That's what they're clapping for, buddy. I'm glad you're here, man. It, is, it has been an interesting week. It's going to be an interesting week. But even with all of that said, God's still on the throne. Nothing has changed with him. The only thing that changes is how we choose to see him. And what's interesting is this kind of question. What do you think? What do you think? It's always a big question, right? When somebody says, well, what do you think? Well, they're asking for your opinion. And that opinion, when we give it, is sometimes either based on facts or it's based on our feelings. Eli, if you want to turn me down just a little bit more. So anytime somebody says, well, what do you think? We automatically start thinking, okay, what are they going to ask me? Not that much. <laughs> Good grief, dude. Come on now. Right? They, they're asking, what do you really think? But what they don't specify is, are they asking how I feel about something or what do I know about something? And so many times when we give our opinion, we have mixed our emotional uh, response, our emotional baggage, things that we've brought in, things that we've been taught, and facts, and we mix those together to formulate our opinion because they ask us, what do you think? <laughs> that can be dangerous. Because sometimes when I ask my wife, what does she think, I'm not really looking for her opinion. I want to know, based on her experience, based on facts, help me know what I'm looking at. Help me to understand. When, I, when we have our leadership summit meetings with all of our, our major leaders and anybody else really that wants to be a part of that, I'm looking for opinions not based on preference and feeling, but what is best for the cause of Christ. I want facts. I want to know what's going to work, what's not going to work. What has worked, what hasn't worked. I want facts, not just opinions, because opinions can be, when they're based on feelings, very misleading. I got lots of opinions. Some of them you don't want to know. Because they're based on how I feel, based on how I was raised or what I've been around. And we're going to find that Jesus actually asks this question to the Pharisees. The rulers of that day and age, the ones that knew the spiritual law, the ones that kind of controlled Israel, the ones that everybody went to, to know what was right and what was wrong. And Jesus is going to ask, what do you think? Now, Jesus, in wonderful Jesus fashion, is doing this because that's all they've been doing to him. Teacher, rabbi, what is your opinion? What do you think? And he's shut them down every single time. We just saw that in chapter 21. Two. But now, at the end of chapter 22, after he has shut down the Pharisees a couple of times, the Sadducees once, now it's his turn and he's really going to shut them down. Because a lot of times, we think we know. But we really don't know. We're so passionate about our opinions. We're, we're passionate about our feelings and we're passionate about the facts that we know. But the reality is, when we give our opinion, we're only giving our opinion on a limited amount of knowledge and understanding. And the truth is, we really don't know. And so maybe we should be a little less passionate and more realistic 
and say, you know what? I'm just going to give you my opinion. Here's based on what I've read, what I've studied, what I've learned, and I've got a lot more to go. But here's kind of what I think based on this. Now, that's going to get very tiresome. Does that mean we've got to clarify every time before we say something? No, but you understand what I'm saying here. Let's be informed people. Let's make opinions and statements based on what we at least can know, not just based on fleeting feelings that come and go. And so Jesus is going to ask a very important question. Let's jump into Matthew chapter 22 and see what he does here and how this applies to us today. While the Pharisees were gathered together in verse 41, Jesus asked them. He's got a captive audience. He literally just shut them down because he talked about love. Remember three weeks ago when we talked about that. Two weeks ago we kind of defined love. And now he's put them kind of in their place. They don't know what to do. And he's got a captive audience. And so he's going to ask them a question. He says, what do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now, he's asking about himself, but they don't know that because they're still waiting for the Christ to come. And he's asking a, an important question because when he's asking about whose son is he, this whole thing about genealogies is vital in, in that day and age. We don't really put too much into it now, which is a shame, but we don't. But back then, the name was important. And in fact, all through Old Testament, even into Matthew, we find the genealogy always being played out, giving us a clear line as to where Christ or Jesus was coming from. And the Pharisees knew this. They knew the Old Testament prophecies. They knew the Old Testament sayings. We're going to look at a couple of those in just a minute. They are expecting the Christ, this guy that's going to come and rule and reign and, and have authority and dominion. Like, they're looking for someone in particular. And Jesus, who is the Christ, by the way, looks at them and says, what do you think? What's your opinion on who you think the Christ is? What line is he coming from? Whose son is he? And it doesn't mean like, well, we know Joseph's his dad. That's not what it's talking about. When it talks about whose son is he, we're going all the way back, trying to pinpoint this idea that Jesus was to come from the line of David through the tribe of Judah. And that's all throughout the Old Testament, by the way. And so he's trying to help them pinpoint and to say what they factually know and also they feel. Because what they factually know does not match what they feel. They say to him, well, he's the son of David. Which is a, a true statement. They, they know that he's coming from that line because we see that throughout the Old Testament, the prophecy. And they put it there. But he, being Jesus, pulls one on them. Verse 43. He says to them, well, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, and now he's going to quote. This is David speaking. The Lord said to my Lord... Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. David's writing this and he's talking about God the Father and God the Son. The Lord said to my Lord, the Lord God said to my Lord Jesus, the Christ, sit here at my right hand till I make your enemies the footstool. Talking about later on, they're thinking right here, right now. 
And so he asked them another question. If David then calls him Lord, how is he the Christ, Jesus, the son? If David is supposed to be his Lord or his father, then how can he call him Lord and place this ultimate responsibility and importance on him? And notice what happens. No one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. Now remember, last uh, two weeks ago, I said, we are in Holy Week. I didn't mean that literal week. I mean all these passages that we're going through right now. This is Holy Week. Remember he wrote in months ago? It only happened in a week's time for them. We're just taking our time through it. So we're doing Holy Year. Because it's taken us that long to get through it. But in this time period of Jesus' life, this is Holy Week. It's what we refer to when he rides in on the donkey and he goes through all of his stuff and then he is captured, <clears throat> tortured, and put to death. This is Holy Week. And so in the midst of Holy Week, he is doing all of this teaching, all of this connecting, all of these community relational things in the midst of the most tragic death ever I get a hangnail and I want people to feel sorry for me Jesus is literally going to die for all of us for the sins of the world to complete the father's plan and his greatest concern is not that it is you and me and the people that he's speaking to in these moments and he's using this to leverage the opportunity to connect. And he's still going after the religious people. He's trying to win them over. They've got all the knowledge. They've got all the head knowledge. But the heart knowledge is lacking. That relationship is missing. And so we find Jesus playing to their strengths. Who do you, what do you think, what's your opinion on who the Christ is? And so when we look at this, they know and they probably would have said, he's the coming Messiah. We know that he's coming. The prophets have told us, teachings have told us. We, we know it all the way back as far as even into Genesis. We know that he's coming. Like that's how far back this stuff goes, by the way. There's stuff peppered all throughout, even as far as Genesis, from the creation of time to know that a Messiah is coming. Believe it or not. Like this isn't just some happenstance in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John that it just happens to appear. This has been the plan from the beginning. This is the one they have anticipated. You think about, <clears throat> I, I hate to use this, but I'm going to use it. You think about presidential elections. Each one of us get excited about our own personal choice of who we want to be president, do we not? And there's great anticipation on voting day, and we sit and we watch and we wait, and we're hoping that our candidate gets voted in, right? Come on, yes, that's what we do. You all do it. You're all guilty of it. You're hoping the other guy loses. These people, the children of Israel, for thousands, probably over 4,000 years, they've been waiting for this Messiah, the Christ, the one that is going to save them from all of this stuff, to elevate them into a place of prominence, to, for him to rule and to reign and for them to be no longer being able to take captive. That's what they are looking for. They are looking for this, this king because they are waiting for his kingdom to be established. 
Genesis 49, chapter, chapter 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Now we're talking about the 12 tribes. This is one of the 12 tribes. The scepter, lots of kings are going to come from Judah, but the main ruling force will never leave this tribe because it will be Jesus. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of all the people. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Now, any normal person would read that and say, well, yeah, he's going to be king, so the government's going to rest on his shoulders because he's going to be the ruler. Makes sense, does it not? Like, we can look at the children of Israel and say, oh, how'd they not get that? Put yourself in their place, constantly being taken captive, Constantly being made slaves, constantly being mistreated, constantly being saved and right back in. And now this promise of over 4,000 years of finally somebody coming to rule and to reign and to save them. Yes, when they hear the government will be upon his shoulders, they're like, finally, freedom. But that's not the government we're talking about. We're talking about a spiritual authority that transcends any earthly government ever. His name will be called Wonderful. Have you ever thought about that? He really is wonderful. There's a song there, and I'm not going to sing it for you. (laughs) Counselor? How many of us go to him when we need him? When we are asking for his guidance? Because he's the greatest counselor. He knows us best. He knows the right questions to ask to drive us in the direction he wants us to go. Mighty God. I need not explain that. Everlasting Father. He's not going anywhere, folks. You can hope that someday you're going to escape all this, but the reality is he's always been, he always will be, and he's not going anywhere. So either you're going to buy in or you're not. But it doesn't change who he is. And he's the Prince of Peace. Oh God, if we need anything more in this day and age, is peace. And I love that everybody wants world peace. But folks, let me, let me just shatter a hope for you. It's not going to happen in this earthly age. Not until the clouds are rolled back and he rolls in on his white horse with all the church behind him on their white horses and he establishes millennium kingdom. That's when world peace will actually happen for a thousand years. Then it's going to be disrupted. And then he's really going to reign. And then it's for all eternity. But we've got to be patient. But it doesn't mean we can't be at peace now. You see, his kingdom is not just the kingdom that's coming. His kingdom's already here because his spirit lives within us. We are living in his kingdom. We are being a part of who he is. His kingdom is just being in his presence. That's what, for me, that's what heaven's all about. Just being in the presence of God. I am excited to see the pearly gates. I'm excited to see the streets of gold. I want to see all the cool stones and meet all the apostles and all those guys. But for me, heaven is none of that. Heaven for me is just being in the presence of my creator for all eternity. The one who saw me in my muck and said, you know what? I want to use that guy. And he chose me and he allowed me the opportunity to choose him and to submit to him and to be used by him. And I just want to sit at his feet for the rest of my eternal life. That's what I'm looking forward to. All the other stuff is great. But man, being in the very presence of the great creator, 
That's going to be good. That had nothing to do with the sermon. Sorry. <laughs> Micah 5.2, not 6.8, but Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. They are looking for this man. They are looking for the ruler to come from Bethlehem. Now we know that Jesus is from Nazareth, but where was he born? In Bethlehem. Because that's where he had to go. Because that's where his lineage sent him. It all fits. Except for their opinion. Their opinion did not change the truth it changed their trajectory and their direction of what they were looking for. Let that sink in. Listen, I got lots of opinions about things that I find in here. Opinions that fit my narrative. Opinions that fit what I want, what makes me feel better. Opinions that allow me to do the things that I want to do and kind of skirt through the things that I don't want to do. But the reality is my opinion about those things does not change the level of truth that lives in here. Hear me out. You can have all the opinions that you want about drinking, about premarital sex, about adultery. Have all the opinions that you want, but it does not change the truth that adultery is wrong. It does not change the truth that being drunk is wrong. It does not change the truth that pornography is wrong. It does not change the truth that speaking ill of someone else or speaking mean to someone else, it doesn't change the truth that that is just wrong. You can have all the opinions you want. I don't care. Because what I care most about is, what does the truth say? So when I ask you, what do you think about drinking? What my prayer is, is that you say, well, here's what I've read in scripture. Here's what God has spoken to me about. And here's where I have landed based on my conversation with him. I don't care what your mom and daddy said. I don't care what your friends say. What I care most about is if you are truly in this thing, when God says, what do you think? You can say, well, Father, what I've seen written in your word, this is what's directing me. And that's for everything, by the way. Anything and everything. Anything that you don't know about, anything that you are concerned about, you can find right here. Anything. Well, what about this specific thing? You really want to play that game with me? You know that there are specific things that you can come up with and dream with that aren't specifically mentioned in Scripture. But there are plenty of principles and truths that reside in there that absolutely deal with this specific thing that you've tried to create. <laughs> and their opinion distracted them from what the truth was really about. They wanted a king. They're tired of getting stepped on. Just like most Christians in our world today, we're tired of getting stepped on. Show me in scripture where that's not supposed to happen. You can have an opinion of, well, God's supposed to elevate me. God's supposed to protect me. I'm pretty sure scripture talks about all of that. But he also says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And if they hate you, it's because they hated me. Get over yourself. Amen. 
It's not about your opinion about how you feel about it. It's the truth of the matter. This is what you signed up for. Be at peace with it and move on. Find the truth that sets you free. <laughs> These people literally, for 4,000 years approximately, that did not hurt my back, just so you know. <clears throat> May have loosened it up a little bit. For over 4,000 years, 2,000 years from the creation to Abraham, 2,000 years from Abraham to about the birth of Christ, maybe give or take a few hundred in there somewhere, somehow. But about 4,000 years, these people have been waiting. Waiting. We get anxious over a 15-minute wait to get into Texas Roadhouse to sit down and eat. Right, Emma? Where's she at? She's sleeping. Oh, she's taking notes. Sorry. So, you have to look at her phone. She literally takes every slide and writes it all down. She's just typing away. Anyway. Now get this. So about 4,000 years they've been waiting. About the last 400 of that before Christ came, there was silence. As far as we see and as far as we know, based on record, there were no prophets. There was no real moving of the Spirit of God. Just people doing life and anxiously awaiting the king. So when Jesus shows up, he fits the bill all the way through. Now granted, he is not Joseph's physical son, because Joseph had no part in that making of Jesus. But because Joseph is his dad, and Joseph chose to stay with Mary and allow this to play out, Jesus is very much a part of that lineage. And he comes from the line of David, from the tribe of Judah. But they didn't want to look at that. They didn't want to see what was factual and what was truthful. What they did is they took the fact and they made their own opinion about it. And it distracted them and disrupted the trajectory from where they needed to be. They're looking for someone from the tribe of Judah, uh, Judah, excuse me, Judah, born in Bethlehem from the line of David. They're looking for a king. Jesus didn't come as a king. Born in a stable? That sounds kingly, right? Very plain parents? That doesn't sound very kingly. But they sure were looking for him. The king at that time killed probably under two years of age all the baby boys that were born. Why? Because he's trying to kill his competition. They missed it. It's not the kingdom he's looking for. He doesn't want your physical body first. He wants your heart. He wants your mind, your body, your soul, everything that's within you. Because if we can get that going in the right direction, everything else will follow. If your mind is right and your soul is in tune with the spirit of God, you won't go to those parties like you used to. You won't endeavor into those conversations that you know are outside of the biblical bonds of marriages. You won't engage in that button clicking when nobody else sees you. That's what this is about. You change your heart, you change your life. You change your heart, you change everything. And yeah, it may mean you have to give up a few things. But it may mean you get to add a few things that are way better than the things that you just gave up. Man, I'm all over the place today. Whoa. <laughs> Jesus, though, 
Because they're looking for this king and he asks them, who is the Christ? Why did he ask that? Because they don't see it. They don't see it. We look at that and say, how in the world do they miss that? Because we have the advantage of the scripture. They didn't. They were so convoluted in all the things that they had been taught and based on their feelings and opinions and their own emotions, they just get distracted, just like we do. There are things that are being preached in churches all around that are, they say are okay, but they absolutely are not based on truth of Scripture. Because we get so complacent and so comfortable, we form our own opinions that feed our own egos and our own selfish wants that are so far away from Christ, it's not even funny. And Jesus is looking at the spiritual leaders, the people who are disciples, the people who are moving in his direction, and he looks at each and every one of them, and he says, who's the Christ to you? What do you think? Who is he? And for me, when I look at that, that's the question I wanna ask you. You're all disciples. You're all following Christ, right? Who is he to you? You ever thought about that? That's a really big question. But Jesus, in this moment, he's talking to them and he wants to hear their opinions. He wants to hear their thoughts. Who's the Christ? Well, they admit that he is the Christ. They've seen his teachings, right? In John chapter three, who comes to him? Does anybody remember? Thank you. Very well done, sir. Nicodemus comes. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's one of the lawyers, the ones that explains the law. And he comes in the quiet of night and he looks at Jesus and says, we know. He didn't come and say, hey, I've been wondering. I'm a little curious. He says, we know that you come from God because there's no way you can do the things that you're doing unless you come from God. They knew it and yet still came against him. They knew that he was something special, that he was something different, and yet still chose over those three years or so to go against them every opportunity that they could. Why? Because their opinions and their feelings and emotions distracted them from the trajectory of the coming Christ. And Jesus is done playing games, he's done messing around, and he says, what do you think? Who is he? Look at this, they acknowledge his miracles. They say, we, there's no way that you can do the things you're doing unless you come from God. There's no way anybody can do that. That's a fair statement, right? It's an acknowledgement. They literally are acknowledging, yes, we know who you are. They recognize his ability to teach. These guys are always trying to trip him up and he shuts them down every single time. Now, Jesus has been going through most likely the rabbinical school to, to learn and to teach, which is funny to me because he's God in the flesh, but he still goes through the motions and he becomes a rabbi, which when he goes to the disciples and say, hey, follow me, it was a great, wonderful thing for them to be able to say, yes, we'll follow you. They've been waiting. And by the way, they were probably rejected before. And now Jesus accepts them where they are. But the Pharisees, they recognize his ability to teach, <laughs> but they fail to acknowledge him. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me, let me help you understand that. I can recognize that God does great and amazing things. Fair enough? We, we all can acknowledge that. 
We can acknowledge that the way that he speaks and the way that the word teaches is something different than anything else we've ever read or been around. Amen? It's just different. But for me, that's great to know. It's great to acknowledge. But until I acknowledge him, I really don't know. Acknowledging him is saying, yes, I see that. Yes, I know that. And so I'm going to be that. Head knowledge is great. I encourage you, have as much head knowledge about Christ as you can. But if it does not change who you are, if it does not turn into heart knowledge, constructing you into be the Christian that he wants you to be, then head knowledge really will be useless to you. You see, you can know and not really know. And that's where these Pharisees are. They know, they've got all the answers. They even acknowledge that He's doing all the right things, the things that they're looking for. But because he didn't fit the exact script that they were looking for, they discounted him and would not acknowledge him as the Christ. How many of us have missed out on a blessing from God because he did not fit the description that we were looking for him to fulfill? I've missed a lot. I wanted it this way. I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't. And I wonder how many things I missed from the time I told him no until about seven years later when I told him yes. Actually, it was more like probably 10. Did I learn a lot in that time? Absolutely, I did. But could I have learned more? Was it a part of his plan the way that he did it that way? I'll never know. I can just trust that where I am now is where he wants me to be. But how many times have we said, God, here's what I want. Boom, 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 boom. And maybe he hits one out of them and we're still not willing to accept it. Maybe he hits two of them and we're like, well, that's kind of close, but maybe it's not him. He'll hit three out of the four markers that we're looking for and it's still not enough. But you know what boggles my mind even more? He'll hit all four and he doesn't even have to and we still choose to say it's not good enough. These Pharisees know the truth inside and out. They've had the law, which should have propelled them into being a great follower of God. But what it did is it created them just doing a bunch of stuff. Because they knew, but they really didn't know. You know, one of the things that I think scares me the most is a church our size, having a lot of people that know but don't really know. Never ever do I want to create an atmosphere to cause you to doubt. But I am all for creating an atmosphere for you to have an honest conversation with God. Because your feelings and emotions can be very deceiving and you can't live on that. But an honest conversation with God of saying, God, here I am. I need you to solidify in my heart, confirm in my mind. Help me to see whether I am just thinking I know or do I really know? Where are the areas in my life that I play like I know, but I'm not really doing what I know? Because he's the one that knows you best. Remember, our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We can't hardly know it ourselves, but he can. Why? Because he created you. (laughs) He knows you best. He knows the ins and outs. He knows what you know and what you don't know. And he's the one that can put all that together. 
He's the only one. You can come talk to me all day. But until you go after him, it may not make sense. Because he's the one that knows. John chapter 5 says this. But you do not have his word abiding in you. Because whom he sent, him you do not believe. Think about that. These are the people listening, Pharisees. You don't have it right now. You don't have it right now because you, you aren't allowing the one in. You know God exists, but you're not trusting the one that he sent. And that's where it lies. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Head knowledge. You've got all the answers. You can answer any question about the law that is asked, but it's not eternal for you yet. And these are they which testify me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Again, know all the Bible stories. That's important. Know the Beatitudes. Know the Ten Commandments. Be able to recite Revelation. But until it changes you internally, it's not really going to do a whole lot. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, The God of this age has blinded them. They have all the knowledge, but they're still blind. They know, but they don't know. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. In other words, if they were really believing and really figured it out, if they weren't blinded from the God of the saints, there would be something shining on them to give them vision and clarity of what they need to do. So maybe, maybe, quite possibly, when we're praying about things, and we're not quite hearing from him, it's not quite going in that direction yet, maybe, maybe there are some factors that are playing into that. Maybe your heart's not clear yet. Maybe you're praying in the wrong direction. Because I'm pretty confident there's a wonderful verse in the book of James that talks about our God wants to give us wisdom and he will give it liberally to those who ask for it. The problem is we don't want to know. Let me say that again. The problem is we don't really want to know. Because when we know, now we are held accountable to what we know, which might require us to go against our feelings and emotions and opinions to do the thing that we really know we should do, but we really don't want to do because it's not what I really like. And the only way that I can get to the place where I do what I need to do is to allow the Spirit of God to drive me. But you don't understand, I got a Facebook following that just guides me. I look at Twitter every day to get my nuggets of truth. YouTube has a video on it to help me. Probably. But I don't think all of those things have stood the test of time like this has. You see, it's, here's, here's the thing about this, this book that we call the Bible, this collection of great writings and stories and historical documents and prophecies. Here's the thing about this Bible that you may not know, and maybe you do, but I want to I really clarify it today. 
This is not just a book of words. It's not just a book of stories to give us understandings of character traits. It's not a book of stories to kind of make us go, wow, that's awesome. It's not just a storyline of a man who gave his life. It's not just a, a writings and letters to teach us how to live the Christian life. It's all of that. But let me, let me tell you what this really is. You ready? This is God speaking to you. This is God using the words on these pages to take you from the surface level things that we see and in his time take you steps deeper when you need it. You see, there are passages and letters from Paul that I have read that I've always seen it this way, but in the stage of my life that wherever I am and the thing that I'm going through, God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, because he resides in me, shines a light on something new that attacks something within me that I need to change. And the problem is, if I do not admit who he is and I do not see the value in acknowledging him as Christ, as Lord, then I will miss it every time and then I will be confused and wonder, why ain't it working? It's because I'm not diving in and trusting and acknowledging that it is the spirit that moves within me more than anything else. This is a living document. It's a living collection that speaks volumes more than what is written in it. And I'm just going to leave this little nugget right here. Again, not trying to... Let me just say it. If you are reading and it's not making sense... You might need to have a conversation with him. But Alan, I read it all the time and it just doesn't click. I have ADD or I have ADHD. Fine, I get that. I got that. I, I can read for about 15 minutes and I got to take a break. I get it. And there are times when I read it and I'm like, man, that was really good, but it's not really where I'm at. But I don't let that stop me. Read for two seconds if that's what you can handle. But open it up. If you want to know how to live this life and how to do it right, you got to dive in. You can't wait for me for 45 minutes on a Sunday to teach you all you need to know. I'm not that great of a teacher. But he is. He is. He can. Let me tell you something. What you're feeling right now, what's stirring within you, it's not because I'm stepping on your toes. It's because the Spirit of God is saying, hey, you need to listen today you need to hear what I'm saying and you and I need to sit down and have a conversation because there's some things that you need to know that you know because so many times we focus on everything but him our priorities get out of whack one of my sons I will not tell you which one Ethan is <coughs> is is really working on that right now Priorities. He's, he's focused on a couple of things. He's got college looming, but these couple of things have really got his attention. And I'm like, dude, like, I'm not going into a whole lot of debt for you. Like, 
you're going to have to do some work to get some of these scholarships. But dad, but son, (laughs) you see, he knows, but he doesn't really know. My experience has taught me because I really know. So please do not insult your creator. Please do not insult your creator. Go to him because he knows far more than you. And he doesn't get distracted. He's not a mean God. He is a loving, benevolent father who wants to work with you and wants you to know more than you already know. He's so good. I love him. I'm almost done. I'm getting carried away today. Sorry. I'm not sorry. You just have to sit there and listen. It's the spirit which grants understanding. First Corinthians chapter two. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Again, you can listen to me teach all day long. But if you're not in tune with the spirit of God, you're going to miss some things that he really wants you to hear because he's saying things to you that I'm not even saying to you. Isn't that the coolest thing? I love that stuff. When I'm sitting in a sermon and I hear the preacher say something and God, the spirit takes me somewhere else with that, that always excites me. And I just tune the dude out. Listen, I've watched many of you do that. I say something and you dive right in your word and you're flipping through and you're reading and reading. Great! I would much rather you listen to him than to me. He's the one who knows. Anyway, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolish to him. Do you understand what that means? When you hear a sermon, maybe much like today, and you think, oh yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, that's nice. Oh boy, he's fired up today. Hmm. That's you trying to process through what the Spirit wants to get you to understand. You got to get in tune with the Spirit. You got to get in tune with the Spirit that lives within you so God can teach you and to guide you into all the things that He wants you to know. For they are foolishness to Him, nor can He know them because they are spiritually discerned. You got to be in tune with the Spirit of God, which goes back to if you're reading Scripture and over a long course of time, if it's still not making sense, It may be you, because he speaks. Guard against complacency in our journey to understanding Jesus. Guard against complacency. What I mean by that is, there's many of you that have been saved a very long time, and you are confident in your knowledge of who he is. But do not get complacent in that, because he is always growing you and always teaching you, and you should never stop until you see him Face to face. You have never arrived. Because you may know, but there's a lot you don't know. Be content in knowing that there is always more road to walk and much more to learn. Just be content in that. You never have to stop with this. It's just a part of who you are. It's part of the journey. It's never going to stop, and that's okay. There's a wonderful thing called the trilemma. Uh, maybe some of y'all have heard C.S. Lewis talk about this. It actually came from uh, a rabbi, John Duncan. Um, but it's, it's the three things that we can characterize Jesus as. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And we know that he is not a liar because we see throughout Scripture and throughout historical documents, things that he said actually happened. 
When he would say, this is what's going to happen, it actually has happened. There are so many prophecies that have been fulfilled through the word of God, fulfilled because of what he had done and going to be fulfilled in the coming times. So we know that he is not a liar. In fact, his word says that there are two things that God cannot do, and one of those things is he cannot lie. We know he's not a lunatic. Now, he did some crazy things, right? But he's not crazy. It's outside of our scope of understanding how he could accomplish these things. So to us, it seems like, seems like he's crazy. But oh, the love that he showed. Lunatic does not show love the way that Jesus loved the people. The community relation that he had with everybody that he came in contact with. There's no way he is a lunatic. So if he's not a liar or a lunatic, which basically most human beings can fall into those two categories. The only other option that we have is he has to be Lord. And if you want to acknowledge Christ as a liar or a lunatic, good luck with that. I can spend some time with you and tell you what's going to happen with that at some point. It's not good. But if you don't want to acknowledge those two, you've got to acknowledge him as Lord. Because not acknowledging him as Lord means you're acknowledging him as either a liar or a lunatic. And acknowledging him as Lord is you acknowledging that the Spirit of God is the one that moves within you and he is the one that you should follow. He's not going to direct you into paths that are outside his paths of righteousness because that would go against his nature and make him a liar. He's not gonna guide you into paths of chaos and crazy. He's gonna guide you into the paths of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's not a lunatic, that is Lord. And this morning I simply asked you the question, Who is Christ to you? What do you think? What do you think about Christ today? Is he a liar to you? Is he a lunatic? Is he your Lord? And I say that not just in name. Is he truly Lord of your life? Meaning you go to him and say, what do you want from me today? How do you want me to handle this situation? How do you want me to to deal with this person? God, how do you want me to be today? How can I serve you today? What does your word teach about this and that? That is what making him Lord looks like. It is not just a name. It is not just something you do. It is who you are. (laughs) Because many times we think we know. There's always more to know. You never, ever stop learning. So whatever your opinion is of Christ today, don't stop there. Let it build. But let it build on scriptural truth and the moving of his spirit in you to teach you who he is. Don't form it based on your feelings and your emotions because they will detract you and take you in the wrong direction. As the praise team comes, here's a couple of questions for you to answer. Number one, Who is Christ to you? 
Only you can answer that. And I pray that God is moving in your heart this morning to really challenge you as to how you see Christ playing out in your life. Who is he to you? Is he really Lord of your life or is he just an acquaintance? Is he just a a nice standby when I need something? Or is he truly the one that you go to when you need something? Number two, have you become complacent and comfortable with where you are and what you know? Are you just at idle right now? Just hanging out? Are you happy with what you know and where you are? Don't be complacent. Don't get comfortable where you are because God has so much more to teach you and to accomplish through you. This job is not done yet. We're not finished yet. He hasn't returned yet. We have responsibility to do. One of that is to grow in him. But secondly, is to reach others for him. And then lastly, do you even know what you're looking for? Do you really know what you're looking for? Do you really know what you're looking for in him? It's a big question. Do you really know what you're looking for? Who is he to you? Altars are always open. I'll be standing up here for a little while. At some point, we're going to have to get brave and start moving for him. Not worrying about what people think. Not worrying about what they see. But me worrying about me speaking to my creator, my Lord. God, I appreciate all that you do. I love your spirit. I love your peace. I love your word. Lord, we need you this morning. We need your help. We need your help. God, we have a plethora of understanding and knowledge of who you are, but God, what does it really mean for you to be Lord of our life? Help us to not be pharisaical in forming our own opinion of what we're looking for so that we are so distracted when you show up, we miss it. Do your work this morning, in Jesus' name.